Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Manor Park Podcast. This podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases, as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy. But it's much needed to be heard in this day and age. Because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was. Until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories. While I know they're deep and disturbing, we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through. So that we can try to identify the problem. And then we can figure out how to solve the problem. My podcast is not for the light of heart. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. It's not for anybody with a weak stomach. These stories will change you mentally. They will make you question your faith. They will make you wonder, why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors? And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well. And to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there, it grew. And I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion unless they have been through court and they have been convicted please understand that moving forward thank you trigger warning the podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men women and children if such acts offend you in any way please do not listen any further this podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offend you. Please do not listen. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 50 
titled Survivor Prom. So for a lot of you that have been listening, you've heard of the stories that are out there, the interviews I've done about the TTI, the troubled teen industry. And for a lot of these individuals that are now older, they get to, they got to miss out on a lot of things in their formative years growing up. Prom was one of them. And so Hannah Kay had an idea in her mind that she turned into an actual event now. In October of this year, October 21st of 2023 to be exact, in Los Angeles, survivors from all different troubled teen industry institutions are going to come together for one night and reclaim a piece of their youth that was taken away from them. It's a night that they're going to celebrate to heal and to finally meet some of the people they know from the internet. Right? People that they've had online friendships with or on the phone, tele- telephone conversations with and everything like that. They finally get to go face to face with some of these individuals. So I think it's a wonderful idea for somebody that's on their healing journey to just have a, that one little night, right? That one night just to just to reclaim it for themselves. Beautiful concept. Me and Hannah had our interview with Sabrina. It was a very good conversation I had with somebody. I can tell that she has a lot more to offer the world than even my interview gave. And she taught me a perspective. I learned something new when I walked away from that interview. All I can say, y'all, is listen to the interview and you'll hear for yourselves. Without further ado, here's the interview. Thank y'all. Hey, everybody. So this is going to be my interview with Hannah Kay. And Sabrina Young is co-hosting with me today. So, Hannah, you tell me that you're a survivor of the TTI. So why don't yes, you sir. tell me how so why don't you tell me how you got brought into the TTI and how it all started for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was almost 13 years old, uh, my parents chose to have me taken to a troubled teen program. Now, uh, like many survivors, the kind of first step of getting to the program is transport. And uh, for some survivors, they were taken by their families. Uh, for me, I was what we call legally kidnapped in that I yep. was taken from my home uh, in the middle of the night uh, at the behest of, of my parents. Unbeknownst to me, um, two people came into my room in the middle of the night, uh, two large, you know, individuals I had clearly never met in my life. Uh, and it was yeah. probably 2, 3 a.m. when they showed up. And, um, you know, they, they tell these kids, we're going to take you the easy way or the hard way. And I, I always like to kind of expand upon that. What they're saying is that if you do not comply with them and, like submit to what they're trying to make you do. They're going to drag you out of there in handcuffs, in a boot. Like it's going to become a physical altercation is, is what they're saying by that. Um, yeah. And I, at the time was, you know, maybe 80 pounds soaking wet. And uh, so I, I was not there to fight. I thought absolutely not. I'll do whatever they want. 
Um, and they had me change into some clothes in, in front of them, change into some different clothes. And then, um, and then they took me downstairs. They, they had me put my shoes on and they took me right out of my parents' house. And um, I think I was fortunate in that I did notice my parents kind of in the shadows. Um, they were instructed not to speak to me um, for fear that I would, you know, try to convince them not to let strangers take me out of the house in the middle of the night. Um, but that's what these programs do. They, um, they tell parents that the children are master manipulators and that they're trying to, you know, lie to them and, and confuse them and, and do whatever they can. Like where these, you know, kids are kids, teenagers even, you know, can be not the greatest at times, but they're really painting a picture to your parents that you are utterly untrustworthy and, and not worthy of being given that communication. So I saw my parents lurking in the shadows. I kind of had a hunch that they knew this was happening, um, but it was still an incredibly traumatizing experience. They took me out of the house, drove me around for a while, um, took me to an airport. At this point, I still have no idea what's going on. Um, yeah. And after two plane rides, they dropped me off in a place called J Florida, which is where my program um, resided. Yeah. So, just going back a few steps and everything like that. They take you out of the house and everything like that. They drive you around. Where, <laughs> how what? So how was the car ride as far as like, or were you in a van, a car? Was it like, was there other kids with you, or was it just you by yourself? How'd yeah. So um, the car ride was. I can actually tell you, it was like a red. I want to say like a Challenger or something, and it looks like a normal car from the outside. It looks like just any car off the street. But on the inside, it actually had the whole, like, police cage in the back. It wow. had, like, the computers and stuff up front. It was very confusing to me. I didn't know if these were police at this point. Because um, yeah. as a child, you just don't know what, what in the world someone might have in their car. Right. Um, did, did you ask any questions? Like, hey, why are y'all taking me? What's going on? Or, or they pretty much just told you to shut up from the beginning. That's... Yeah, that's all you had. And that's what you yeah, did. Yeah, you know, I I didn't really have any questions. I was kind of it, my my response to the entire situation was very much just like freeze, like submit and freeze. Yeah. And so I I just didn't say anything at all. I didn't really understand anything that was going on. But one thing I did understand was that I was not in control of the situation. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, and there was no other kids there. It was just me. Um, that they were transporting at this point. And um, yeah, it was. May I ask why your parents sent you to Lighthouse? Yeah. Um, so I always like to say that there's, there's plenty of reasons that children get sent to troubled teen programs. Um, it could be behavioral, um, like they really are suffering from things like depression or anxiety. It could be like their grades are not so great in school. It could be. You know, we had plenty of like foster kids even get just dropped off and left at our program until they aged out. Um, for me, my parents' reasoning was because of my behavior, I was exhibiting like some at-risk behaviors like like running away and, and having, you know, bad friends, bad grades, things like that. So I don't want to say that my parents had no reason to be concerned about me. Um, but you know, after experiencing and, and also educating them on this industry, we can all agree that there was no, no reason. There is no good reason to send even a troubled quote unquote teen to a troubled teen facility. But yes. uh, yeah. 
how did your parents find out about this place in Florida? Because where you, you took two plane rides over there, I'm assuming you're on the other side of the country yeah. uh, at this point. You were you were where like in uh, in the in the over in the western side of the yeah. country. So, so we're from California, okay. uh, so that's why we had to take two planes. And as far as my parents finding out about this program, you know, that's a question I have myself. They can't seem to recall. Um, my um, belief is that, you know, I had temporarily been going to therapy at my parents' behest and uh, it wasn't working out. I was not very interested in participating. And that was a, a Christian counselor, essentially. So I, I don't even know what kind of degree they had or anything. But it is, it is my theory that that counselor suggested this to my parents. Mm. So going they to a Christian where they where they where they found out about it. But that's my theory. Yeah. I got you. So mm-hmm. going to a Christian counselor and everything like that, I'm pretty sure it was all faith based and it was just uh pretty much pray the problem away. That type oh, of uh, in, 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 in a nutshell, I'm sorry. I'm 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 being very over generalized with that, but in a nutshell, pretty much the the results were like just pray about it and everything like that, and not really going digging deep down into the root cause of the issues. Yeah, but that's even that's even something that my family personally struggles with. Um, you know, some my parents are religious. Um, yeah. I come I come from a what they call a Berean Christian background. Um, and Berean, Berean, yeah, it's similar to Baptist. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, my parents were kind of already of that mindset in that they believe they they weren't big on medication. Um, at one point I was put on medication prior to the program, um, at the behest of the school district, because I had gotten in so much trouble that they said I could not return unless I was medicated. Um, Yeah. yeah. And at that point, my parents sort of put me on medication, but I was not taking it and they were not like trying to make me take it because they just were not, they're not very pro medication, my family. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they, um, the program itself was very much what you were saying. Like it is very pray it away, you know, they, they not acknowledging true mental health, um, yeah. concerns like I, I was exhibiting at the time. Yeah, I, I had a I had I grown up in a similar environment like that. I mean you I mean you talked privately before and everything as well. We kinda had mm-hmm. similar backgrounds on that. Yeah. Um yeah I, I never could understand why they didn't want to go into the to re- research or actually digging in to somebody's, you know, root cause issues instead of just the answer is always have faith and just pray that God will magically heal it. Um no, it takes work, it takes involvement, it takes actually yeah looking reflecting inwardly and figuring it out in a much deeper state so you get sent to jay florida i've read about uh michael palmer Mm -hmm. and uh boy does he have a a history behind him oh yes um yeah i saw about the the uh the school that he had in california back in 91 actually got uh, Mm -hmm. raided Mm -hmm. uh, because it wasn't a license it it was over a licensing issue that they had Mm-hmm. Um, and in one of the actual former residents there at that, at that particular school, I forget the name of it right off the bat, it was the, but the one he had in California, I think that was victory if I'm not mistaken as well. Victory um, was in Ramona, correct. Yeah. She said that she was subjected to, uh, being locked in a solitary room 
and listening to preaching tapes mm-hmm. on loop for like 12 hours a day uh, when she refused to eat, uh, being force fed baby food, icy mm-hmm. cold showers, uh, physical mm-hmm. abuse, those type of things. How was your experience when you first got there? Like, what did they do to you when you first got through the doors and everything? Yeah. Um, so when I first got there, um, you know, the transporters dropped me off. The staff came outside to to get me from the vehicle. Um, and then they brought me up to the front doors. And that's where I immediately realized that this is a lockdown facility and that every door in this building is magnetically locked, right, with a code. So they do this Jeez. thing. They did this thing at my program where they say turn. And what that means is all the children have to turn to face away from the door while the staff inputs the code. So they had me do that for the first time then. And then they took me inside and they took me straight to what we call the new girl shower, which is uh, basically the first thing they're doing just in case, you know, bed bugs or lice. Yeah, I remember those. So um, I didn't have any of those things. So I did not experience like delousing or or anything of that nature. It was just a simple shower, but they did do a body check on me um, before I got in the shower um and they are the, they're not even only checking just so you know at religious programs they're not only checking for contraband they're checking for like tattoos you might have that they will then make you cover up for the entire time that you're there um uh and things of that nature piercings you can't piercings. You, you could, yeah we couldn't have like more than one hole the bottom hole of your ear pierced um for example anyway so they they kind of do a body check and then you get in the shower. And while you're in the shower, they take the last thing that you own, the, the last part of you, really, which is the clothes you had on your back when you came in, and they take those from you. And at um, that point, sorry. So, I, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, so when they're checking you and everything like that, is there like a registered nurse checking you or nope. like who is checking you? Nope. Um, in my case, it was a staff member that was, I want to say, in her 20s, if maybe a little bit younger, uh, okay. but but an adult, 18 plus, I believe, at yeah. the time. And um, she did not even have a high school diploma. She was from the town of Jay. Um, and later on, after all the years I was there, the last week or two I was there, she ended up admitting to me that um, she was gay, which was, you know, the biggest sin in their world. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, she was the one that was checking Right, so she had access to over thousands of girls, children, minors. Yeah. yeah. And there are accusations against her sexually assaulting mm. students, students as well. Jeez. Where there are children, there are predators. Yes, yeah, I agree. Pretty much. And, um, and she had a, a very like unhealthy relationship with me. And I, I was not aware until I found out that she was gay, that it might be even more inappropriate than initially. Yep. But it, nothing sexual, I will say, nothing sexual with me whatsoever. But yeah. um, but you we believe were, we grooming? Were we were incredibly, incredibly close. We actually went to the same Christian college after I left, and I was very, very close with her. Um, and then um, things kind of, as things were coming together, I separated from her entirely. But um, yeah, but yeah. So she was the one that was checking us uh, for our new girl showers as we as we came in. Her or another uh, female. Uh, staff member, um, but none of them registered nurses or, or anything of that nature. And you know what? What you just described to me with the check-in process—not with the person that was checking you, but with the process itself—that's mm-hmm. 
if you listen to convicts or inmates and everything to give interviews about what what it's like to go to prison and everything like that, that's the same similar style that they do. Mm-hmm. They de-louse people. They they check them and everything like that. They go and run like this this like kind of kind of run the mill uh, gamut of tests and everything. But that's part mm-hmm. of that process as well. Yeah. You get a shower when you go into intake. That you, I mean, they they automatically de-louse people no matter what. But I mean, yeah. they do all that. I mean, it's very yeah. similar to prison. Yeah, and, and I'm I think just it's like, really, good God, you know. It's important that people remember because oftentimes, not I, but oftentimes people will give the excuse, "Oh, these kids are these kids are brats," you know, there's something that's got to be done with them. And and all I can say to that is, they they may be difficult children at times, and and I have lots of excuses on what you should have been do- doing with your child that a probably caused their behavioral issues and right. and b you know what appropriate treatment options there are available to children who have behavioral issues. Um, But at the end of the day, these children are not criminals. Right. And they're subjected to criminal treatment. They're, they're absolutely treated like they have killed somebody. That's the way that these kids are treated in these facilities. I've listened to several, I've listened to several stories with Jeremy on this podcast and some of the ladies when I hear what their parents' reasoning for sending them away are, I'm like, what? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you could have dealt with that at home. Therapy, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. I I think um, our friend Katie Mack, she says a lot of the time, and I think it's so so wise of her, you would have to spend the entire 18 years of a child's life appropriately giving time to each potential option for treatment. Like you would, you, you would need to give all the options an appropriate amount of time that would take all 18 years of their juvenile years, yeah. um, really trying other options before. I say that you can't take 17, 16 years of heartache, heartbreak. Every child has a story, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fix it in 18 months or however long, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes from people who are unqualified. So like in your case, your program like mine was a Lester Roloff spinoff program. Mike Palmer, you know, worked underneath Lester Roloff. So there was that indoctrination, that forced Mm -hmm. Christianity, ideology, schoolwork was even faith-based, unaccredited, ACE, you Mm -hmm. know? So you have all these kids from different walks of life and some kids who didn't even come from religious programs entering this and then they're being subjected to this. And you have no idea for, for me, no one knew, even staff members to this day will say, well, we didn't know you went through all that. That's your job. Yeah. You know, that and that's sense. the part of the job that's not being done is getting to the root of the problem. And a lot of this comes down to family dynamics. Thousand percent. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, and when staff members, you know, often they do give us those excuses because I think most staff members for these programs um, met or many, many of them are coming in with good intentions, mm-hmm. but that's simply not enough to have appropriate care for children. Exactly. And I think that's, I think that's why they give us a, Oh, I didn't know what was happening. Um, that's because you're not trained or accredited to take care of children. Right. If you were, you would know what to be looking for and you would know what to look for in a place of employment. Exactly. And I also, I also want to interject too another, another perspective on that as well. Mm-hmm. If, you know, grooming is not just for kids, right? It's for adults as well. So if you have people who are, who have ill intentions and everything like that, and they're manipulating grooming people, especially the people working for them, they're not going to, they're not going to think to look for those issues either. 
Now, I'm not saying that they're all innocent or anything like that. Then, and in fact, I, I'm I can even be as bold to say that a lot of them were probably complicit in that abuse. But for the ones that weren't, I mean, they're just going there and doing you know doing what they believe is a good job and and trying to help people out, help. Keep that. And so they're not looking, and 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 they're probably not even being shared any of these stories. As well, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, you know, because I've never been in, in a TTI, I've never been in any type of program like that. I was threatened with, with military school when I was younger, but mm-hmm. that was about the, the, the closest I've ever been to TTI as a child. So uh, it's just a perspective, you know, because they're yeah. like, like the, the stories I cover and everything like that. Like one of the most heinous ones I covered was about a cop out here who was uh, who was raping kids and producing child porn and everything like that. I mean, just uh. it shook it shook my entire parish out here. Right. And the cops that worked with them, you know, they didn't know because of how private this guy kept everything. So like and these were like people who were trained, who were trained to look for these situations and they didn't even know with one of their own. Mm-hmm. And so it's I mean, it, it like even if you are trained, it's still sometimes hard to, to, fi- to see it and find it in front of you. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand and they want to go and, and blame, you know, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying that those people are, are at all innocent. Like, let's just make that perfectly no, fucking clear on that one. But even the people that are working around these monsters that harm children and everything like that, sometimes they just don't know, you know, and that's just a perspective. I want to interject on that. Yeah, that's all. No, absolutely. I think, I think the the difference or the the contrast that I see in situations where there are like I'm seeing is in situations when there's like a policeman who's um, abusing his authority and abusing children and doing all these horrible horrible things and it's all in secret. Uh, the contrast is these programs they they operate on an abusive business model. So even yeah. even even the things that I would agree with you like oh they're maybe not trained to see that that little girl is being you know sexually abused by the pastor here those things I don't necessarily blame them for maybe not knowing because um, those are the things that are done in secret but the things that aren't done in secret are we're kidnapping children we're yeah. putting them through body searches we're forcing them to hold each other down we're forcing them to sit on each other like um, the business model of of these programs is abusive in nature. So yeah. I would agree with you in that, like those big instances of like sexual abuse or over physical abuse, maybe, maybe I can say, oh, they didn't know better. Um, yeah. But in a lot of cases, I think they, they do know, but they're, they are groomed and they are brainwashed. The they're staff. so desensitized to it. Yes. And, and I will also say that I have witnessed and heard from staff um, while I was there that they pay them so little they mm-hmm. have nowhere else to go to. So mm-hmm. they stay there for those purposes too. And there a lot of them are lucky to get out. And the ones oh, that totally. have, have opened up to me about why they left and, you know, I should have done sooner, you know, yeah. or I should have called, you know, I get that the lives are full of should have, would have, could have, yeah. but mm-hmm. you know, now, you know, survivors are the ones that's like, well, we're tired of the, I should have, we're going to be the ones to do it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think to that, Sabrina, um, oftentimes it, the staff are treated not as poorly as students, obviously, but they are manipulated very similarly, yes. um, in that, like they're paid so little. And then part of their pay is like the meals, like they get their meals uh-huh. paid for because they live there usually. Yeah. Um, yeah. The staff, like for us, we had probably a dozen, maybe 15 staff members, um, to manage, you know, 60 children sometimes. Wow, and, and there would be 
two or three what we call dorm staff or dorm parents, dorm moms. Um, and those were the ones that would live in the same building as us, like in, in other rooms, but other locked rooms behind locked doors. But they were in the same building and the rest of the staff would live in trailers that were just scattered yeah. around the property. The property. Yeah. I know and what your so property all, looks like, yeah. Yeah, so they would all benefit from the free meals and that would be like part of their pay, right? It was like the, the food that we were cooking for the girls, that's what they would eat. Did you? So, did any of those staff members ever come from the homes in Texas, like the Jubilee home, the men's anchor home in Texas, do you know? You know, I I don't know for sure, but I do know that they were churches. They worked at previous. They worked at previous versions of this program, Genesis okay. Bible Victory. A couple of them did. Um, so th- that's how they knew Michael Palmer. And Michael Palmer lived on the property with us. He just did not any longer run the program, but gotcha. he would yeah. occasionally. He would come eat with us. He would uh, preach to us on occasion. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't a stranger. We knew who he was. We knew that he ran the first program. We'd heard, you know, horror stories about him, even from uh, students and even other staff members would, you know, kind of whisper about things that had happened at the other programs. Um, So it's not like they didn't know that there was um, a sexual predator on the property. Um, Like that's very, you could search, if you were to Google Michael Palmer or Rebecca Ramirez today, you would, you would hear of some absolutely atrocious um allegations against him and anybody could have found that before i went to the program that's why i sometimes am disappointed in my parents investigative work um because this is just something that i could i can't imagine as a parent saying oh i'll take my chances right (laughs) yeah right so I actually did uh, Google Michael Palmer and everything. I mean, there are mm-hmm. just dozens and dozens. Now, I will say the first Google res- result for Michael Palmer, Big, uh, Victory Christian Academy, mm-hmm. is um, is a site called Heal. Uh, I think it's called org. Heal. Yeah, Heal.org or something like that. Or it's, 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 it's the first result, and it actually talks about the um, how the place was shut down. And yeah. uh, they have a list of all the staffers and everything like that as well, uh, mm-hmm. given by – by former residents of the place and everything and, and, and a little bit about the allegations and whatnot. And then they have the articles. I mean, just dozens of news, news articles on him. I use it all the time for parents wanting to know about a program that they want to send their children to. And that Mm -hmm. is a great source. Yeah. Yeah. I'll actually put the link to that first Google result in the, uh, whenever this episode gets published in the, uh, in the description and everything as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, the rape, the rape, long history. Yeah, I mean, he's got rape allegations everywhere he's went. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just like, and I even read about Genesis by the Sea. It got shut down in 2004 by the Mexican mm-hmm. government. And I'm going to tell you something. If, 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 if the Mexican government shuts down your facility <laughs> because of abuse cases and things like that, that's, that's fucking bad. bad, y'all. That's bad, oh, bad yeah. because the Mexican government and- allows a lot of shit to go on. And if they're shutting it down, then you know it's heinous. Yep. And you know, what's interesting is, so Genesis by the Sea was located very closely to other programs that many people have heard of, but completely unrelated programs such as Casa by the Sea. Um, And, uh, and similar, and they were all, I believe, all shut down very close in timeline to each other. Tranquility Um, Bay. Tranquility Bay. Oh, God. That was in Uh, Jamaica. That one was in Jamaica, yeah. And, um, 
yeah so so very similar i mean we heard horror stories and, and you know if you ever wanted to connect with um a woman named um janine she runs the pieces of victory uh show and she is mean, a survivor of victory you mean you mean janine miller yeah, yeah, I've heard of her. I've heard of I've heard her her. survivors tell, tell me about her, yeah. Yeah, so she, so same program. So I just talked with her recently, and it was really great to kind of compare and contrast our experiences from Victory uh, to Lighthouse um, because, you know, it's many of the same staff, pretty much the, exactly the same program, ran the same way. Um, but yeah. she'll tell you horror stories of children trying to escape. They actually had barbed wire fences in um, Genesis by the Sea, giant barbed wire fences. Kids were trying to escape and breaking their ankles. And I remember hearing these stories later, um, but at our, at, by the time we came around, you know, it was all maglock doors. You couldn't go in yeah. there. Um, when, when was that, that you were sent there, by the way? What, what um, I was sent there in 2007. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then I, I was uh, in 2011. Wow. I was, uh, Oh, 2007 for me. Oh, I was a 20 year old man around that time, uh, and I was a, I was doing some scumbag shit back in that day, <laughs> criminal shit too. Uh, I'm glad I've I've changed my ways over the years and everything. Thankfully, I never crossed the line with women and children or anything. So, um, but yeah, oh my god, yeah. that that and, and you know, I, recently Sabrina told me about a about another survivor who's like 19, 18 years old that was on a podcast. This shit's still going on. Like it's, mm -hmm. it has not stopped. It, it might, and, you know, it might slow down a little bit because of, of loud voices like yourself and Sabrina's and all the other survivors coming out mm -hmm. and more and more people find out about it, but it's still happening y'all like to the yeah. audience that's listening. Like it's still fucking going, going on. on. Yeah. And I think, so, one of, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, no, you're good. I was just going to say, um, um, with sur these newer survivors coming out because this is, this is still happening. Um, I encourage people so much to speak out because I think that uh, raising awareness, raising like outrage, like showing people that, that this is what's happening is now in, yes. in my is in my opinion the most effective way to shut down programs. Now we are obviously relying on lawyers a lot. We're relying on legislation a lot. We're you know we're doing protests to raise general awareness of the industry. But in my opinion, and, and from what I've seen, the biggest thing I've seen shut down programs is people just being obnoxiously loud about their experience because it ends up showing up in those Google search results and attendance, yeah. attendance starts yeah. dropping and they cannot afford to stay open. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I think the truth of my program shutting down was, which it shut down, I believe, in 2013. Yep. Um, and, and I believe it was because of attendance dropping drastically because we had a woman named Alexandra Zayas come out and do a huge piece on it with the Tampa Bay times. Yeah. That's exactly enough, that's the article I read. Yeah. They were stupid enough to let her in. And I, it was funny. I talked to Alexandra at the time and I was still brainwashed and I was kind of like, Hey, don't quote me. Don't make me seem like I hate them in the, in the article. Yeah. Cause I was still pro program at the time wow. or I was still like kind of okay with them. And, um, yeah. And yeah, she she it helped attendance drop significantly, and I believe that's the real reason that my program shut down. Now that's not what they'll present to you. I think they said it was something to do with uh, just well, Michael Palmer wanted to sell the property, and maybe no, he did because all his rape allegations were coming up again, and his name's on everything. Actually, because uh, I'm I'm telling you no, because I um, I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. 
Um, no, go ahead. Because uh, so the Tampa Bay Times did that article and everything. I think it was Cookston. Who was his name? Uh, yeah. Was help run, was was one of the pastors running the place. Yeah. He was quoted in the in the article in the second article because of the because of the Tampa Bay Times investigation. It's what it hurt the attend it hurt the attendance and everything like that, which is what uh, was one of the reasons why they were selling too. I mean, it, it, it was because well, of it was because attendance dropped and everything. Yeah, yeah, it, it was because of that, but it was also because of the rape allegation and everything as well against mm-hmm. Palmer that caused them to, uh, you know, a lot people of people stopped coming. Yeah, yeah, people stopped yeah. coming and, and giving them money. And then, you know what? It's a true statement I, I tell a lot of people. If you don't like something, vote with your dollars, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, that, and that goes with just not, not just voting for political people, but also, I mean, you you know, use your wallets to, to change minds because yeah. it can happen in all forms of businesses and different, you know, corporations and everything like that as well. And all different types of uh, programs like this. Use your dollars wisely. Yeah. And if you do so, they will change. They will learn mm-hmm. to either adapt or they will die. That's what happens, okay? Because this is a business. Unfortunately, yeah. this is a, a horrible, sickening business to me. But the only way it stays a horrible, sickening business is if people keep blindly giving their money to these types yes. of people. Yeah. So if they change that, you know, if they say, no, I'm not going to send my, my kid to a place, you know, that's, that might, you know, where they might get raped, they might get beaten, they might die and everything like that. You know, I'm just not mm-hmm. going to do that. Sorry, you know, I actually love my child a bit more than that. Um, yeah. They're going to realize, oh, shit, we can't do these things anymore to kids. You know, we, we got to change. The, even the members in the congregation of a church, when these places come like mine, that they, they like to parade us kids around, have us sing, yeah. um, give our little fake scripted testimonies yeah. for me. And then you donate money. Um, you need to do your research before you donate money, because a lot of these places yeah. are scam. They're scam artists, cons men. Yeah. Preying on these children to so yeah. do your research before you just blindly give your money away. You know, I've actually had parents message me on Facebook because of you. Um, This kid didn't go to this program. We researched it. Thank you. Or, hey, how do I find out? Or show me articles so I could send my pastor. Um, I didn't know how loud and and how much my voice mattered. And I know to some people, it seems like I'm just bitching and ranting. But I got a lot of bitched and rant about. In fact, in 2023, I left my program 18 years ago. And yes, luckily, all my programs are gone. But these places are still popping up all over, all over, all over, you know, so now I'm, I'm past the point of just sharing my story. I want to help new survivors, you know, the, the fresher, you know, faces tell their stories and get to the parents, you know, and to also help advocate for change because there's a lot of work to be done. And I think Sabrina, I think kind of what you're saying, I'm like, yeah, when I think of my parents, I'm like, you know, in my head, I go, gosh, guys, how the hell did you not see these allegations against the man who owns this property because the lighthouse program was still under michael palmer's name legally it was all under his name even though as you said cookston was running it um but um i think to my parents like how did you not see this because the truth is i think most parents now there are still those exceptions of especially shitty parents out there who are just getting their kids off their hands and they don't care but i think most parents are doing it because they're trying to find a solution for their child. And if yeah. they can find the resources, if they can find the Google links, if, if you know, they are finding these stories, they are not going to send their children to these programs. And, you know, my parents didn't find the Michael Palmer rape allegations, which happened before I was there. They didn't yeah. find them. the reason they, the reason parents found them today was because of the Alexander Zayas article. And with the Tampa Bay times that really brought a lot of stuff to the surface. My guess is they found that first. And then they went on a, 
uh, rampage, you know, searching other terms from that article. That's, that's what I think caused the uh, attendance to plummet. And that's awesome that you actually got confirmation on a follow-up of that article, because I didn't ever know that for a surety, but now I do, and I'm glad I was right. So I want to tell you, like, down here where I live at, in, uh, in Livingston Parish, Louisiana, um, and where I grew up at in Tangipo Parish, which is right next door, when I went to church, we didn't have, or I didn't know of any trouble teen industry places. But what I did know, but what they, what we did have, which is very similar, there was adult versions of it, right? So there's a lot of drug uh, rehab uh, uh, places that these churches operate in that that or that they that they have these type of programs. Um, I'm not going to mention the names of them because I don't know if they're good or bad or not. I don't want to. You know, if they are doing actual good work, I don't want to, you know, ruin somebody's reputation on that. But there are like these type of places where guys who, especially men, uh, get, you know, hooked and addicted into drugs and everything like that. Instead of going to prison, instead of going to jail, they get sent to these places and they work. They pretty much get like work exploited from what I can tell. Um, you know, they go do free labor for the church and everything like that. They go, they work a program, they work a drug counseling type program of some kind and then they graduate from it and everything as well. There was one up in Baker, Louisiana that, that a guy told me about which is North Baton Rouge. Um, and I don't remember the name of this place, uh, but he told me he went there and everything like that. These guys would literally sleep on like the floor with like little thin, like, uh, like those kindergartner mat uh type of mats and everything like that like like just as thin as they can be bare bone minimum uh necessities um you know like how a lot of y'all had you know the cheapest soap the cheapest shampoo stuff like that i mean and they they would cram like 40 or 50 guys into like a you know a a 20 by 60 room or something like that sleeping on the floor and they just would work the dog shit out of them from like 6 a.m. till, you know, 6 or 7, 8 p.m. at night. Then take them to church on Sunday mornings, talking about how good they're doing and everything uh-huh. like that while while they were collecting money from the state. Uh-huh. And I mean, you know, you know, this pre- this one particular preacher, I can't remember. Like I said, I can't remember his name or the name of this this church. But he was, I mean, on his way to building like his third house or something like that, driving around, you know, the nice, you know, nice uh, Mercedes Benzes and everything like that. Nice suits. Uh, collecting like 30 or 40 grand for each guy that was in these programs. Mm. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize either is that not only do the parents like, cause a lot of parents actually took out loans for these places for their kids to go to uh-huh. the state mm. also pays people for the adults that end up in drug addiction and everything like that as well. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of those type of programs where I'm at out here, but it's not with kids. It's with adults and it's with people mm. that are very vulnerable. And that's the thing too, is that these programs target people that are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And they they exploit the hell out of them, and it's just to me it's just sickening. Uh, learning about all this from y'all, learning about all this from TTI survivors, maybe really dig a little bit further into the adult side of it as well. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share that. But going yeah, back to your story, well, going back to your story though, you go to you you go to Victory and everything like that in Florida. You get processed in and everything like that. What was it like? Uh, were you put like in solitary for the first couple of weeks, month? How did it go? What was your day to day? What was your yeah. day to day? So, so I was not in, I was not immediately put into solitary. Um, so just for the listeners, our solitary we called GR, uh, which stood for um, Get Right, the Get Right Room. Um, but no, I was not immediately placed into that. I was really in shock, still kind of that whole freeze response from the kidnapping. Um, yeah. And by the time I had gotten there that night, took my shower, 
you know, it was nighttime. It was, they put me to bed and I got on top of a bunk bed and some girl was underneath me and they said she was in charge of me. And I was like, okay. Um, next thing I knew, I woke up that morning. I think we woke up at 5.30 every morning and people are racing around with such energy. And I remember thinking, I can't race around like this in the morning. Like, I'm so yeah. tired. Um, but they were racing around getting dressed. And I remember I thought that they were Amish. I thought this is an Amish program because we were just wearing these gigantic, um, Sabrina will know, like these gigantic moo looking things. And dresses, oh, yeah. like the jumpers, yeah. the jumpers. Yeah, jumpers, the jumpers. So we yeah. had these gigantic jumpers and you would wear collared shirts underneath them and um, tights. And so hideous. Shoes that are non-existent shoes. Um, was this like a Handmaid's Tale or something? It looks like Pretty Handmaid's much. Tale. It, looked like, it looks a lot like Handmaid's Tale. Um, Good like, God. Uh, yeah, I could send you pictures later, but it's, um, yeah, it's yes, just really do. weird Amish attire. And I remember thinking, oh, they're Amish. I'm in an Amish place. Like, this is so weird. Uh, and then I found out later that they're not Amish because I don't know anything about Amish people. I just was, <laughs> <laughs> I was just judging them based on their dress. Um, yeah. I was 13 almost. Uh, I just didn't and know. And from the West Coast. So you probably had never seen anything oh my like gosh, that in your life. In my life. I was like, oh my God. Because this program also, middle of nowhere, just peanut fields and cotton yeah. fields. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I kind of met my new person that was in charge of me. That's called a buddier. And, um, and, you know, I had to be within six feet of her at all times. And, and my rules, uh, my, sorry, my goals for the first couple months I was there, uh, was to memorize several pages of scripture. Um, and, uh, and that was pretty much my, and learn a bunch of the rules. And that was like my, what they wanted from me for the first couple months while I was on this status called buddy, uh, where I'm basically not allowed to talk to anybody except my buddy or and um a few how long were you at this program for um so i'll say this and i don't usually get into this with people because it just confuses them but i was actually at this program two times so mm, um, i feel you okay. sister yeah so um so initially i was there for almost two years i actually my parents brought me back to california and i was there for like six months i think and then they sent me back for another two years. Um, so, so all together, I was there for almost four years. Um, uh, but it's kind of uh, complex to explain to people. So I, I'm exactly. just My story is a lot like that, too. Yeah, you went to a whole bunch. So I, I totally know you get me. Um, yes. so, um, so, yeah, that, that was uh, two years of that the first time. And, you know, while I was there, I obviously experienced all kinds of abuse ranging from physical abuse I was actually floored which is what what their term is for being physically restrained I was floored yeah. for the first time within within a week of being there because as a new student you're not allowed to go outside for anything not even PE like the one hour that everybody else gets you're not even allowed to go outside for that um and so what they would do is they would have all the people who are not allowed to go outside they would do like jazzercise videos like you know, like those '80s exercise videos uh, inside. Like Richard Simmons, jazzercise. Yeah. Oh, that's Work it, girl, burn it. Probably, Richard Simmons would be too worldly for them. But, yeah, way too oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. but it was um, but it was some kind of like you know the stretchy rubber band things. And oh, I, yeah, I was experiencing 
I was experiencing a stress induced UTI, I think from the kidnapping. Um, and I, and it was really bad and I didn't know what it was at the time. All I knew is that I was not able to go number one when I went to the bathroom. I just, it was physically like impossible. I could not relax the muscles of my body. And, um, and so I didn't know how to verbalize this to anyone other than I was just trying to deal with it on my own. Um, and I kept telling them like, I have to use the bathroom. I have to use the bathroom. Uh, somebody please take me and they'd take me and I wouldn't go because I just couldn't. And so they were accusing me of being bulimic and that I was just trying to throw up, which I've never had an eating disorder in my life. My parents never told them I had an eating disorder, but they just assumed this about me because I was very thin. And, um, and so I remember I came back out to PE after trying to use the restroom and I was trying to do the exercises, but the teacher or the staff member said, you know, you're not moving enough. You got to move more. Like you're not being vigorous enough. And I was like trying, but I really couldn't because I was in pain. And I then got floored because I was not moving my legs vigorously enough uh, during exercises. So two students came up to me and dragged me to the floor. Uh, you know, I fought them, obviously, because I didn't know what the F was happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd never even witnessed this yet at this point. All I know is I have two students attacking me. Um, so they tackled me to the floor and they physically sat on top of my body uh, because I did not move my legs enough during exercise. So that was my first experience with um, being physically restrained at that program. And I went on to never be restrained again because I never wanted it to happen to me again. But I was instructed to physically restrain many, many of my peers over the years, including sitting on them, holding their limbs down, like with like four other people, like literally like exorcist style, holding them to their beds. Um, as well as forced to stay, I was forced to stay up all night and do suicide watch for my peers, which I'm not qualified to do, but you know, they didn't have enough bodies or staff to like appropriately deal with somebody who was allegedly suicidal in most cases wasn't the truth. Um, so I was sleep deprived. Um, I did physical labor. I'm sure Sabrina experienced this as well. And kind of like what you were saying, um, we, we worked the programs, you know, like we, we were lugging away tree trunks and stuff from the property that they were cutting down and keeping up with the landscaping. You know, we were out there pulling weeds all the time. Um, and oftentimes we were dragged out of school to do that. So we were missing schoolwork or not able to, you know, further progress. Um, I was lucky in that when I came back to California, um, they said my schoolwork was accepted by my college. So I actually did have a high school diploma from my program, but many people do not. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and so that's just kind of the icing. <laughs> that's kind of just scratching the surface of a few things that I experienced while I was there. I mean, I watched students dragged across the field because they could not run anymore and they were throwing up, but they the staff wanted them to keep running. You know, the, the PE guy was a military veteran who treated us like we were in military school for some reason. God, and, uh, not another, not another William not uh, knockoff clone. Oh my yeah, God. You know, he was just, he was an absolute terror and, yeah. you know, it would send people to the isolation box for not being able to keep up. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a really, really horrible experience that took me a lot of um, undoing and kind of realizing, Oh, you know what? I was not a bad kid. I didn't deserve a lot of the ways that I was treated during those years of my life. 
And in addition to being physically and emotionally abused, I was also incredibly spiritually abused. I was absolutely brainwashed. Um, yeah. it, was just, it was part of the program. I, I, I would say 90% of the kids, if not more, were brainwashed by this program into believing their um, very extremist version of Christianity. And um, it took me a lot of undoing. It's something I still struggle with, like a, a deep-seated fear of, of death and dying and afterlife. Um, because I had a program that, that sat me down and told me that I was a scorner and that God had had hardened my heart and that I would never be saved because of it. And um, yeah, yeah, it was a really horrific place that I'm still kind of undoing a lot of. Yeah, still dealing with those scars and everything. I know uh, me and you kind of talked about religion and everything or Christianity and spirituality and everything like that before. And um you know, somebody that's broken away from the church, but still has the belief, you know, in Christ and everything like that, that I have. Um, like I told you, I think the other day was that, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, Jesus, I believe Jesus came on this earth to break us out of these religious chains just for us two millennium later, you know, or, or less than 2000 years later to put ourselves right back in those same religious chains. And I think that's the heartbreaking thing of it all is that, um, uh, you, you know, they made you, they, you told me they, they made you memorize a bunch of scriptures and everything. I'm curious, did they ever make y'all memorize the scripture from the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 18, six, which I told you about that scripture before it was, uh, anyone that causes a little, these little ones to stumble, it's better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and throw themselves mm -hmm. into the sea, which was basically Jesus saying, and in, in plain terms for anybody to understand that, that, uh, Jesus hated people. Jesus hated that uh, child abuse so much that he'd rather somebody commit suicide than to abuse a child. It's pretty much essentially what he said. Um, did they ever make you memorize that scripture? I, I'm, I'm assuming yeah, not. So, so upon entering, we had about four pages of scripture to memorize. And then yeah. on a on a weekly basis, there would still be like three or four that we would memorize. I don't see how that would be one that they would have made us memorize, but I'm very familiar with it. They were more yeah. into having us memorize scripture that was more of a self-reflection on our current status. Yeah. And because we weren't yeah. parents, you know, or adults at that time, I think that's probably why it wasn't on the list. But we definitely, yeah. definitely went over it, you know, many times. We had we had church three times a day, plus Bible study, plus forced prayer, plus singing. <laughs> like, so, like the amount of sheer... <laughs> biblical education that was pumped into us or, or their version of Christian education that was pumped into us um, was just astronomical. And um, it's yeah. a, it's a wonder. I don't remember. I didn't know that verse as soon as you <laughs> said. Yeah. 18, six or whatever. Yeah. Matthew 18 to six. Yeah. I don't try it, to I mean, it, anymore. I know I, it, it, but it's something that goes along the lines of what I do, you know, and it's mm -hmm. about protecting little ones. And, you know, I, I really, <laughs> You know, it, it's it's a weird thing with uh with my with my you know with with Christianity and everything like that because I grew up in a version of Christianity that I think a lot of people maybe should have grown up in to an extent where I was safe, where I was actually taught to you know develop myself to become a better person for for the people around me, my community, and everything like that as well. Whereas, mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't exploited to you know to 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 be used and everything like that as a commodity and everything like that. And I think that's where. And, and and so I have an understanding for people that, you know, leave Christianity or have a, a, a hatred for it because of the abuse they suffered, you know, and, and it breaks my heart to see that. And it broke my heart when I started this podcast and when I started looking in all these cases, the just the, the church abuse scandals that 
I, I saw. I mean, just it, it really broke my heart so deeply and it made me question my mm-hmm. faith. And I still, you know, I still struggle with it. You know, I I still do. I don't hate God. I don't hate Jesus, but I do hate what what's been done in his name, you know, Mm -hmm. and the people that have perpetrated these horrible acts in his name. And all the time when I tell people about these stories, about these faith based places and everything like that, you know, their first response. And I'm pretty sure you've gotten it a lot, too. And I know Sabrina has, too. Well, that's not all Christians. That is the Mm -hmm. most that's the first defensive response i get from a lot of people yeah, yeah that might not be all christians and everything like that but these so-called christians were the ones you know claim or these were people claiming to be christians and were putting on a show and an act and making people believe that they were christians and and doing these heinous things in this in the shadows and the secrets behind all y'all's backs and everything like that and profiting off of it mm-hmm. i mean you know but to, to, so to not call it out and to not say anything about it you know is pretty much just as complicit in my opinion and i don't want to be complicit in that i don't want to yeah. you know be a part of something like that and it, it's it's affected me to the point to where i'm not allowed at about a half dozen churches out here where i live at because i've gotten with pastors individually and i've asked them flat out before i even attend their churches uh do you allow you know convicted pedophiles in your churches and if they say, well, yeah, we allow everybody, I said, well, do you do you even let the congregation know? No, that's their past. They you know that that that's what they did in the past. That's their, you know, they you know they've changed and everything like that. Mm-hmm. They've turned from their ways, and you know we can't judge people accordingly like that. And I said, you know what? The fact that you don't let the congregation know that there's that there's convicted child predators in your midst, uh, that's a recipe for disaster because you obviously mm-hmm. don't know how grooming works. You don't know the 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 red flags for it and everything like that. And you can't watch these people at all times. And I'm not going to be a part of a system or, or part of an establishment that allows, you know, predators, you know, in, a, in the same place to congregate where children are at. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, you know, obviously I was a little more vocal than that, a little more colorful in my language than that. But uh, at the same time, it breaks my heart because I, I, I hear all y'all scars, you know, that yeah. y'all carry in life. And it's what breaks me and it's what causes me to keep doing what I'm doing. And I just, it, well, I think I know, it's, very, it's very respectful or respectable of you. I think that oftentimes, yes, I'm sure Sabrina as well has had people do that. It's not all Christians thing. And, and then it moves on to, okay, well then what's the churches or the congregations method of accountability? Like, let's have a real conversation about how you're keeping your congregation accountable because my, yeah. my, I, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call the people who ran my program wolves in sheep's clothing. I call them Christians. They were Christians. Yeah. They were abusive Christians. And that doesn't mean all Christians are abusive, but they were Christians no. and they were abusive. But people always want to tell me, oh, those aren't real Christians. I'm like, yeah, they are. Don't, don't come from the perception. Don't come from the angle that a Christian cannot fail or cannot be abusive because that's wrong. The truth is Christians can be abusive. Like, let's not pretend yeah. that, that that's not a possibility. All, all groups of people can be abusive or, or all yeah. individuals from, from any group can be abusive. So... I think it's kind of turning away from the narrative that, oh, if they're abusive, they can't be a Christian. And and instead turning and saying, well, how are we keeping our, our congregation accountable? And I think what you're doing by sitting down with these pastors or, or these leaders um, within the church and asking them, well, what are you doing to protect your flock, so to speak? Um, yeah. And they're they're showing or they're proving that you know, they're not really doing anything. They'd, they'd rather kind of sit and be comfortable, I think, than to have confrontational you know, kind of potentially drama to, to yeah. build an extra mile for their congregation. And, and I think that's where they fail in, in holding their, their congregations accountable. You know, they need, they need to actually have a plan for that if they want to change the narrative 
around Christianity um, that they feel is being perpetuated by people who are abused by the church. Yeah. And you know what, that is, that, that is very spot on of you. That, that is a, there's a very good perspective of looking at it and better than I could say it. I mean, it's something I think in my mind, but obviously when it comes out, you know, with my poorly uneducated mind, I, I can't, uh, I can't articulate that in the words as, as well as you did. So I congratulate you on that, on that perspective and something I can use later on in life. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the church I went to, or the churches I went to, you know, I, at least one of them for sure. I, you know, I, I'm still friends with some of the some of my pastors and everything like that, and I've had deep conversations with them about these issues. And, you know, they all assured me that, you know, nothing like, like these like ha- like heinous stuff like rape and everything like that, child rape and everything. None of that ever happened in my church. I never heard of those whispers ever going on or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grateful for that to that extent. I mean, you the, the worst that they had was affairs. Um, and things of that sort of nature, you know, like typical uh, mm-hmm. things that happen in a lot of and that I, I do see typical in a lot of different churches and everything that, that will happen, you know, um, those type of things. But I was pretty much safe in my Christian environment. I was in this bubble for a long time. We didn't talk about, you know, rape and pedophilia. We didn't talk about domestic violence. We didn't talk about those issues. And as an adult, I didn't I was ignorant to a lot of them. And that's the that's the, also the other hard thing about it is that we're not teaching people to look for these signs and to know how to deal with these situations. And then of course you go, we go back to where a lot of like your stuff started too, was that um, the, the whole mind, the whole mindset of uh, prayed away and everything like that comes back into place. No, you, you gotta, you gotta know that there's problems in the world. You gotta know that there's real issues that people deal with and that simply just praying about it is not going to do anything. I mean, there's, there's even a verse in the Bible that says, you know, faith without works is dead. Yeah. You know, so you can have all the faith in the world. You can pray all, all the time in the world, but if you're not doing anything with your faith, then, you know, abuse will continue. Bad things will continue or nothing will continue. And that's something that's lost upon the church. And then they, they go and they see their attendances drop and they think that, well, it's just because people hate God. No, it's not that people hate God while they leave. It's because they don't feel safe. I'm not going to say every single case is like that. I can't generalize and broad stroke and everything, but people leave because they're not safe in the churches anymore. They do. Um, and, and they've had these traumas that they've had in their lives and everything as well. And they're trying to deconstruct from it. And the only way you deconstruct is by leaving that environment and really searching out and seeking answers. Yeah. And that's what I, I suggest anybody to do. I mean, I don't want nobody to, you know, if, if they have a strong faith in God, I don't want them to have to leave. I want them to be able to at least, you know, understand that they, these are real things that happen and that, they need to be aware of it so that they can be stronger Christians themselves, hold people accountable and, you know, bring the church back to what it should be, which is serving people, which is helping people, helping people heal in this world, because we all have scars that we carry. And that's the thing I think is lost in today's version of Christianity is that it, it's, it's turned into this political shit show. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I see a lot of preachers that go to school for communications, right? They go to school for public speaking. So they know how to say things. They know how to string together uh, words that can elicit certain emotions and everything as well. And so we mix that in with with, with religion and it turns into propaganda, in my honest opinion. But I know that there are times that people have, have been at their lowest point. And they have turned things around because of Christianity as well. So I can't say it's all bad. Just I, and I know you're not saying it's all bad either. Um, but if we don't no, talk about, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if we don't talk about the the the, if we only talk about the good but not the bad side of it, then we're just fooling our, our all ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I do. That's why I talk about these issues too, because we need to know and we need to be aware. And I'm glad people like you are speaking out. Thank you.
thank you. Sorry. Yeah. And I no, no, thank you. And I and I really appreciate your your perspective on that. I think it's really refreshing and I think it's really necessary. Um, so many people, you know, are saying, I mean, think I just think of how many people you've heard say, um, you know, I I don't go to church, but like I believe in God. And and that's that's yeah. not a coincidence. It's because churches all across America, um, you know, are, are failing their congregations. And whether it's a, it's because of accountability or whether it's because things have become too political, you know, I, I can't say. And I and I know that there's another side to that coin with like um, the, the far left as well. So I'm, I'm not like just zeroing in on churches here. People do yeah. kind of get in their bubble, so to speak, kind of like what you were saying. Um, and they don't really want to ruffle feathers or pop that bubble um, to find out that there's so much more that they should be doing to not just maintain, but but grow and, and protect their congregation. So I appreciate you shedding a light on that. I appreciate you being um, open-minded and being the voice that a lot of people will hear because you do still have a respect uh, for Christianity and God um, and Jesus and all those things. And I think that's just so valuable. Yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, a lot of people that have heard my rants would actually say I have a respect for it, but it's because <laughs> I have an I anger. Uh, I, well, I, I know I have an, I, well, I, like when I first started, I was very angry. I was very angry at, uh, you know, at my creator. I was very angry at, at, at God because, um, it, it, like the part of me questioning my faith, you know, like if, if you're really real, why is all this evil happening? Why all this evil being perpetrated and everything? People go back to the, to the subject of free will in the Bible. And I go back to the subject of, well, if there's really free will, then what about this this story here? And what about this story right here? And then if and if you compare what God did in some of those stories to a human being, you know, and, and I told a story that that they couldn't connect that to that story in the Bible, but it was like a, a human scenario. Mm -hmm. They would say that like God like in God's response to it or something like that, if that was a human response, they would consider that person psychotic. Yep. And uh, you know, it, and it's like it's odd, what but yet God can do it though. You know, like, and I, I ask those questions like why and everything like that. And it makes I try to make people think because, look, it, it's he gave me a brain for a reason. Right. I mean, if, if he is real and if he is the, the, the ultimate creator of all of all, you know, the entire of life itself and everything like that, mm -hmm. then why did why are these questions in my mind? Why am I why am I why have I been given this ability to actually think and think these things through? And think mm -hmm. on deeper, you know, because people always tell me, well, think deep, you know, in Christianity, I always say, well, just reflect and think deeply and, you know, try to try to find the answers. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. But yet, mm -hmm. when I ask those questions, you know, I get, I get labeled a heretic. I get labeled a blasphemer. I get labeled a non-believer or, or somebody that hates God. I'm mm -hmm. trying to find the answers to this question on, on this life before I leave it, you know, mm -hmm. and see what it's really all about. But. I, look, we can we can be on this soapbox all day long. All right, <laughs> I, I know we can, and I'm not going to make it out to be this 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 diatribe of me and every in Christianity. But back to your story, though, I know we keep going back to it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's not much more to say. You know, it was it was yeah. an incredibly abusive place that used you know physical isolation and uh, social isolation to break down children. And to to uh, take children who were already in a very vulnerable spot of being in a strange place with strange people and beliefs yeah. that weren't their own, and and they use the system of this um, business model to to further break you down and ca cause you to submit. And if anyone ever tells me that a troubled teen program has been uh, successful or worked for their child, um, in most cases, I'll say, well, give it six months because. Yeah. 
as the as the kid comes back to reality and starts to shed much of the abuse narratives that have been impressed upon them for however long they were institutionalized, um, they will recapture themselves and they'll probably be pissed at you. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just being honest, I was not happy with my parents for many years after I got out of the program and I probably didn't verbalize it all too well or communicate it very healthily. But, um, but uh, programs don't work. They temporarily subdue and they do that through abuse. And that's yeah. the only difference. That's not the only difference between, um, you know, all the other potential uh, treatment options for a kid, which are you know scientifically backed and proven, and yeah. this really unaccredited, unregulated, abusive industry. Um, you can make kids behave if you put a gun to their head. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So you so growing up in that in your in your formative teenage years and everything you obviously missed a lot of different things and so there's another reason why you're on this podcast today and it's yeah. to promote uh something that you missed which was your prom and so you came up you came up with something called the survivor prom can you tell us a little bit more about it absolutely so yeah like you said um being in a program for for all those years um really had me miss out on a lot of things and of course there are things I like prom, like graduation, like my sweet 16 and birthdays and, and all those things. But there's also things that were very like fundamental to like my to like a teen's upbringing or, or their growth or development. Development. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, things like um, making friends, like having social connections. That was not only discouraged, but punished in my program if I were to make a friend. Um, yeah. Appropriate conflict resolution. You know, it's not tackling your peer, your peer friends. It's not um, standing them up in chapel and tearing them down and criticizing their relationship with God. Um, and a normal yeah. experience, you know, you would learn how to kind of navigate your friendships. And sometimes it would turn out good and sometimes it would turn out bad. But I would have had a lot more experience doing that. Um, intimate relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, what have you. Um, that's something we obviously didn't have in program and is something I didn't experience for those years of my life, um, which has led to me being an adult who's not just socially awkward, but incredibly um, uh, dissociated from like all forms of intimacy. It's not something I'm very comfortable or familiar with. Um, yeah. And so those are those are kind of some of just like a few of the things that people don't realize they are building within themselves during those years. Um, but I can't go back necessarily and, and help the survivors of these programs to develop those things. Um, all I can do is say, hey, I love you. Let's celebrate you. Let's come together and reclaim just one of these things that, that we can take back. And that is Survivor Prom. Um, Survivor Prom is just like any other prom, except it is for adults, adult survivors of not just the troubled teen industry, but also of cults uh, and other abusive congregate care settings. Um, you know, if you've been in a cult, um, you also probably missed out on, on most of these things. So we're trying to include really um, a wide net of, of people who missed out on these experiences during their teen years. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's what Survivor promises in a nutshell. It is going to be at the uh, at one of the Hiltons, which I am not announcing yet, which one, but it is, okay. it's at one of the Hiltons. Contract is signed. It's happening. It's on October 21st of this year uh, in Los Angeles. And okay. uh, it's, it's super exciting. We have um, Instagram, Facebook group, uh, Twitter, TikTok, everything. We're kind of shouting out survivors on there. Sabrina got featured the other day. 
Um, and yeah, we're just kind of sharing people's truth and, and reaching out and trying to capture everybody and, and invite them to prom. Uh, so it should be super, super exciting. We're obviously also trying to raise funds for that. So if anybody wants to yeah. throw a few bucks in, that's super helpful. It helps us to uh, pay for things like the venue, food, security, insurance, all the fun things. And of course, trying to lower the ticket costs for our general um, attendees. And then hopefully if we'll have some money left over, we'll actually sponsor uh, some survivors attendance, you know, help them out with tickets or travel or, or what have you. So um, if anybody yeah. wants to donate, I'll definitely send you that link as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a really cathartic healing, you know, get together, I think, for our community. Yeah, I know uh, Sabrina was telling me about Survivor Prom and everything like that. And that's what led, you know, led her to led her to me to yeah. you and everything as well and telling me all about it. And of course, I definitely would like to, you know, um, spot, you know, like try to put the, like like the reason why we're doing this episode today and everything like that as well is to put that out there yeah. and to let people know. And, you know, uh, not I know not everybody has all the money in the world and everything to give, because if I did, I'd be able to, you know, if I had the money to do so, I'd, I'd sponsor all y'all and just say, hey, go have a blast and everything like that. But even, even 10, 20 bucks, y'all, if y'all have anything like that, it's good yeah. to give. I'll, I'll have the link there in, in the description as well for them to give. Um, right. I, you know, and I, I know like I know Sabrina's been trying to raise her money as well and everything like that. I threw a couple yeah. bucks the other day. Mm-hmm. and uh trying to help her out as well um if you know a survivor that that's putting this on you know social media y'all please go help them out or at the very least if anything you can do is share it out there you know uh some of these people are just trying to 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 capture back you know a, a piece of their life that they that they missed out on and i think it's important for them to go and celebrate that and you know to have that in their life you know to mm-hmm. to kind of give a, a one step closer to having some completeness or having some type of you know healing in their life and it's it's a good thing that you're doing and i appreciate that you're doing that for the survivors yeah. as well um, thank you thank you you know uh and and uh, ironically uh for anybody that doesn't know and if you haven't been listening to any of my freaking episodes about the tti y'all all the audience members that are just maybe new um paris hilton was actually a survivor of the tti as well she went to a place in in uh was it provo canyon or i know it's in utah for sure yeah she went to provo yeah. canyon among others yeah yeah, Provo Canyon to, to a couple of these places. So this is something that's near and dear to her. If any of you are a follower of, you know, Paris Hilton's, you know, social medias or anything like that, she, uh, I think she was kind of the one that like the first big celebrity to kind of break ground on this back in mm-hmm. 2020 and mm-hmm. which has kind of gotten this movement, a lot of these movements kind of up, you know, coming up and more survivors coming together. Um, and the only reason I even know about, the TTI is because of two people initially, which is John Ferry and Sabrina Young and Sabrina being the one who kind of grabbed my hand and flung me into this world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just didn't know, you know, I mean, shit, 35 years of my life. I didn't know Hannah. I, I did not know about all this and mm-hmm. it was right under my nose the whole time. But, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people that never experienced yeah. this or know anybody that experiences. And even, and even with some people that actually knew people that experienced it, I mean, they bought into the manipulation of it. You know, um, think about I, I think one of the most recent famous ones I know of is uh, Danielle Bergoli, you know, the cash me outside girl. Right. Yeah. 
she got sent to the ranch and everything like that. She tried to tell people about it. What happened because of the way they edited her episode. And I'm, I, and look, I'm not, not excusing how she behaved or anything like that on that, on that Dr. Phil episode, mm -hmm. but because of how everything kind of all these dominoes fell into effect, everybody believed in the, in the, in the bullshit and the lies and the propaganda about it, that, you know, that this girl was just a bad kid and, you know, she was a disrespectful kid and everything, which, let me let me tell you when when she goes out and calls all the women in that audience a bunch of hoes and everything like that and she'll fight them all and everything yeah that is disrespectful i don't think anybody can disagree with that but my back of my mind was going what is going on in that in that household for her to be acting that way you know that was one of my first thoughts about it like good god yeah. man yeah. and you know she tried you know she tried to tell people about it but because her reputation got damaged so much even Paris has got, you know, damaged because of the stuff that happened back in the day with her. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to listen, but more people are coming together. More people are finding out about it. I mean, I tell people about it all the time down here in Louisiana and they just never fucking heard of it. And it's because they don't have the organizations specifically down here where I'm at in Baton Rouge area that, that have those cases come out. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. you have, you know, like you have a lot of these, these adult places, but nobody speaks out on those issues either. And so it's it's kind of like a thing that they just don't really know about. And when I when I if that's why I usually when I tell people, yeah, I cover TTI cases and they and, and I do that on purpose because it gets them to ask, well, what's TTI? What's that? Then I start telling them about it and they just kind of the first reaction, like they just, they just gasp, you know, put their hand over their mouth going, what the fuck? I'm like, yeah, these are bad. Yeah. And then the other reaction will be, it'll be something like that, or it'll be something of like this glazed over look they have and go, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and I, I try to, I try to combat both of those reactions, uh, mm -hmm. especially the second one. Like, look, it's worse than what you can think. Uh, go listen to my, you know, go listen to my episodes, go listen to these episodes, go listen to these people. I'm telling you, it's, it's thousands of them, you know, and yeah. But I'm glad that I know I just went all the way over to the left on this, but no, 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 you're I, good. People, I, people don't know yeah. about this, and it's it's in large, it's largely, I think, due because, um, due in part because, um, the troubled teen industry is not just like a singular umbrella, right? It, it includes militaries, yeah. it includes rehabs, it includes so it's, it's not something that people kind of advertise and always as a troubled teen program therefore when they hear oh so-and-so went to military school um they don't necessarily consider that that school may be incredibly abusive and oftentimes the children don't really recognize the abuse themselves you know unless it's like very overt abuse sexual abuse um physical abuse people don't tend to see it people people yeah. respond to things like sexual abuse but um when you say hey i was you know I was spiritually abused or I was emotionally abused. People are must, much less likely to respond to it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a little more cold hearted to it. Yeah. Um, because I guess, and I, I, and I used to think this way too. I said, well, shit, I was emotionally abused too in my life. You know, fuck, I turned mm -hmm. out all right. And that's, that, and that's, that's the cold callous way of people, of people thinking about it like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, or everybody's buying into the whole, whole ideal that, you know, these, these younger generations are just so damn weak and frail and, and, and bitter and everything like that, that, you know, they can't handle anything when in, in fact, in reality, they've suffered through a lot and they have to do a whole hell of a lot more than the, than the previous generations have to, you know, as far as like people talk about how this generation is lazy, right? The Gen Z and, and millennials that were all lazy and everything like that. You know, I know about I, damn near everybody I know, has a full-time career, their spouse works, and they have a business on the side as well. We work in 
fucking three times harder than, than, than the previous generations did to get mm-hmm. half the shit that they got now. So yeah. I, I tell people, I say, you know, empathy and compassion usually wins the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to open yourselves up to understanding why people believe in what they believe in. And that's how you start to learn different perspectives. Because mm-hmm. I did that, I'm here where I'm at now today because of it. Once I realized that I need to really understand why people believe what they believe in, why they feel the way they feel about certain issues, that why, that ever, that all-encompassing question, why, 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 it will open up so many doors and just different relationships and perspectives to you that you never would have imagined otherwise. You know, I tell anybody, don't sit there and, and not talk to somebody because you were taught all your life not to go talk to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, listen to them. See what they got to say. You ain't got to agree with it. Just go see what they got to say. And I'm telling you, it changes your perspective on a lot of things. Absolutely. But yeah. So, Hannah. Yes, sir. Where can people find you at online? If they want to talk to you, reach out to you, or or what are you doing in life now? Yeah, so um, right now, if you are looking to connect with me or Survivor Prom, you're going to find me on all the Survivor Prom channels. Um, That's at Survivor Prom, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, in uh, Facebook, we have a Facebook group for Survivor Prom, um, but you'll find me under, under Hannah K on Facebook. And if you're like, hey, I just want to like talk to you about my experience, or I'm a parent and I'm concerned about my kid, like reach out to me. I mean, I get back to you like right away, but I'll get back to you and I'm happy to talk to you. I'm not like uh, unreachable. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me under Survivor Prom nine times out of 10. And as for kind of what I'm up to now, um, Outside of prom, you know, I am a volunteer with the organization Unsilenced, uh, who works towards uh, putting an end to abusive practices within the TTI. Um, and I support them. And I, um, I'm also a business owner. So I'm kind of working on my own stuff most of the time. But um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I live a beautiful life in sunny Southern California, and I can't complain. You know, cool. so, uh, but yeah. Well, anyway, well, thank you um, so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate you having me on and, and sharing your perspective. I think it's so refreshing, and I, I really appreciate you both kind of sitting around and chatting with me for a bit. No problem at all. Hey, everybody. So if you learn a new perspective or learn something in general from this episode or any other previous episode that I've done, I appreciate it if you did a couple of things for me. If you haven't left a review on whatever platform you're listening on, please leave one on there for me. That's how this channel grows. That's how this podcast grows. Also, if you are interested in interacting with the man, you know, with a man apart podcast in any kind of way, shape, or form, I'm on TikTok, and I'm also on uh, Facebook with a group page called a man apart podcast. I encourage anybody that's listening to go join either one. The links will be there in the description. Please, y'all, help this Survivor Prom become a thing and share the link on your socials. These are, these are people that were, for the most part, they were beaten, they were raped, they were just abused in all forms and shapes and ways, and they were all heinous by individuals that 
knew better and should have should have spoke up and said something but didn't. The only way evil thrives is if we allow it. And the only way we can stop these issues from happening and continue to happen to children as the troubled teen industry still grows and flourishes today is by us standing up and letting people know that there's a problem, that there's smoke in the house, right? That there's a fire in the house. So if you believe in fighting evil, if you believe in helping survivors, then share this. Stand up and use your voice as well. I appreciate every single listener that's on here. I appreciate every single one of you that have decided to follow and share and and just be a big help to this podcast. Keep doing it. Keep using your voices as well. Because it, it don't take one person. It takes all of us to stand up. It takes all of us to speak out. And it don't matter what your background is or where you're from or what you've done in your life. If you hate monsters, if you hate evil, stand up, speak up, speak out. Survivors of all different traumas, that's all they want is for people to stand up and recognize that what happened to them was evil, heinous, and wrong. And that's all I'm asking y'all to do. Use your voices. Your voices are on those platforms. Share it. I don't want fame. I don't want money. I want my message put out across there. Because it's about high time these monsters know how we really feel about them. And to let these survivors know that we actually do give a shit about them. That we actually do care about them. It's heartbreaking how many survivors I've ever met that have fell into despair and hopelessness because they feel in their hearts nobody cares about them. And if you want to help a survivor on their healing journey, show them that you actually care. It don't even have to be my podcast that you share. It don't even have to be a podcast. Just be a post something. But if you want to help me and you believe in me, I'd really much appreciate it. If you're not following me on Facebook or on TikTok, please do. You can just look up a Man Apart or a Man Apart podcast and you'll be able to find me. My cover art is usually my profile pictures on the group and on my TikTok page, so not hard to find. You can see my lovely face that was made for radio. <laughs> but I digress. I just want to tell y'all that I love y'all. I appreciate all the ones that have reached out to me and that show their support and that are just, y'all are just some of the best listeners I've ever come across, no lie, because there are people that are just behind the scenes, they're just truly dedicated to wanting to help fight and protect children, and I don't have all the techniques, I don't have all the learning, right, I just know people I can connect you with and on top of that I you know I can use my voice that's it that's all I can do there are so many stories that I have a backlog to cover and it's a deep dark rabbit hole sometimes you gotta have episodes where 
It's not always about child rape, right? It can take a lot on somebody. So for anybody that's ever thinking about wanting to join this fight as well, I recommend that you make sure you protect your mental health. Because these are some troubling stories that I have. There are some stories I'll never be able to share on this podcast. That's how brutal they are. And like I said, I love each and every single one of you. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. I hope that you learned something today. That's all I can say. So, when you're out there today, just remember, protect all children, even if they're not your own. The Bowman see, and the Bowman never forget. I love y'all. Bye.